for more fun. Yes. Uh, today we're covering. Wait, oh. this was Colts. Yeah, just we're just doing your own. Yeah, yeah. Choose your flavor. Yeah, own adventure. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, so. these people chose their own adventures. Oh, didn't they? Ooh. All right. Let's All right, get into let's it. Flip this quarter. Ooh. Oh, tails. Hey. Okay. So I guess I go first. Yeah. All right. So today I'm going to discuss the Synanon cult. Yeah. So yeah. it's a fun, fun cult. Okay. So the Synanon was founded by Charles Diedrich Sr. Charles, or also known as Chuck, was born in 1930 in Toledo, Ohio. Ooh. His father was an alcoholic, and he died in a car crash when he was four, which is unfortunate. Yeah. His r- mother raised him to be a devout Roman Catholic, and he was quoted saying, I believe literally that I would go to hell if I didn't go to church on Sundays. And when he was 14, he read his stepfather's copy of H.G. Wells' The Outline of History, and after that, he became a militant atheist almost overnight, and shortly after, he began to drink, so... You know, becoming a militant. Yeah. Caused him to drink. Makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, In his adult years, he became a sales executive, and he traveled around for business, and his drinking soon became problematic, as, you know, if you're traveling, I feel like you go to the bar. Yeah. So, he did that quite a lot, and actually caused his first marriage to end, so he moved to Southern California for a fresh start, where he met his second wife, and she was not about his alcoholism, so she told him to go to AA. Good for her. Yeah, but their marriage still ended, but it's fine. At least he got into AA. <laughs> he was actually very well-liked in AA. In fact, people admired his speeches at the meetings, and he said that he would talk all night until they stopped him. He just liked to be up on the stage and have all the attention on him. And he just enjoyed the community so much that he actually started to hold personal sessions with other members. So basically, it's all AA's fault. Whatever yeah. happens next. It, it's, it is. Or, or Narc- Narcotics Anonymous as well. Because as soon as he continued with the program, he realized that there wasn't really a narcotics community to help with that. Like the NA had started, but it wasn't like very prevalent. Yeah. So he wanted to create a world that could help with this and one day he casually experimented with lsd because that's what you do it's what you do yeah uh and this encouraged him to start researching psychology and philosophy to help create a new group that would help with their narcotic addiction and he called this group the tender loving care which is oh gotta get a little tlc yeah a little bit And he coined the phrase, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Uh, The group started off as just private sessions after their AA meetings with about 10 people, and it quickly grew to about 100 people. In 1958, he created the Synanon Foundation, Syn standing for togetherness, and Anon standing for the unknown. So basically, together in the unknown. Oh. It's actually, I like it. I don't like it later, but like it now. (laughs) Uh, So they moved out of that house and they found a larger home in Santa Monica for everyone to meet and to live and create this community. Uh, The program eventually turned into a two-year residential program and Chuck just began to use his Hollywood connections to promote the organization and it actually became one of the cool spots to hang out. Huh. Interesting. 
Every Saturday night, they would throw a huge party that was open to the public with a jazz band. Uh, visitors included the Twilight Zone creator Rod Serling, uh, sci-fi author Ray Bradbury, the original host of The Tonight Show, Steve Allen, uh, Jane Fonda, and Cesar Chavez. Interesting. Oh, yeah, so it was actually pretty... It was like legit. Pretty hip. Yeah, it was like the <laughs> hip spot, but it's like AA, which I'm like, that, okay. Weird. Well, very strange. Uh, in 1967, the organization purchased the Club Casa del Mar in Santa Monica. And if you've been on Santa Monica, it's like a huge hotel. Yeah. So they just purchased that for that to be the community. And they used this as their headquarters in a dormitory. Uh, he then acquired the Athens Athletic Club, Club in Oakland. Also used as a residential facility. Choke, Chuck, choke. <laughs> Chuck hoped that these homes would create a utopian society and everyone would be able to be treated equally. And eventually, 10 years after it was founded, Synanon had at least 1,100 members, was receiving $2.5 million a year in donations. And mind you, this is the 50s. It had $7 million worth of real estate in Santa Monica, West L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, uh, Reno, Detroit, New York City, and Puerto Rico. They even owned gas stations and ran a $1 million a year advertising business that sold pens and office supplies with the Synanon logo. Oh. So. They were legit. They were legit, and they were making, go- like, good money. Yeah. For an Alcoholics Anonymous group. Off of not panhandling. I know. And they weren't, like, forcing people to sell books. Like, it was all, like, legitimate stuff. Yeah. Uh, and But, of course, as we've seen with all cults, uh, Chuck decided to make a few changes to the program. And he concluded that no one could graduate because a full recovery is impossible. He went on to say that treating addicts was merely a byproduct of his larger mission he wanted to create an experimental society that would transform the world. Ooh. He said, this is the kind of revolution that moved the world from Judaism to Catholicism to Protestantism to cynicism. This is a total cynicism. revolution game. That is Ooh. Si- revolutionary. What a change. Wow. Trying to revolutionize the world. He's revolutionizing the game. Uh, the process to get into the program became more difficult. New members were interviewed before being accepted, and for the first 90 days in the community, members were expected to cease all contact with outside friends and family. Shocker. He chucked it aside to create different types of memberships for the program. There was called Square, which is people that didn't have addictions, but they wanted a safe space. Okay. There was the Lifestyler, which was people that lived outside of the community, but would contribute their income to the program. And then there was the Punk Squad, which was kind of a boot camp that was devoted to disciplining juvenile delinquents that were sent to Synanon by their parents and the courts. Okay. So they're all like taking in everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You got to have a program for everyone. Yeah. Everyone needs to be. It's a utopian society. Everyone's welcome. Mm -hmm. So they actually wouldn't use any form of pharmaceuticals or tapering of drugs. They would just have everyone go cold turkey. That's super dangerous. Yeah, so you just walk in and on the couches there just be people just vomiting and like sweating just as they're withdrawing from the drug. So not great. Yeah, they probably should have had like a nurse or a doctor on staff to help yeah, with that. Yeah, detox. they probably should have done a lot of things, but you know. Or shouldn't have done a lot of things, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. 
So Chuck actually decided to do a new form of therapy for the group, and it was called The Game. It was a form of group therapy where the patients would sit in a circle to express their frustrations at each other. And it was a confrontational approach that each patient was to hash out everything that bothered them about one another. And it was used as a way to understand yourself. And that frustrations didn't actually have to be true. You could just make it up. You could just oh yell. Just so just yell. Just yell. Uh, some of the questions included, the most boring person in the circle is, or what really pissed you off this week? Sometimes the games would last up to 48 to 72 hours. That's... Yeah. They would just sit in a circle just yelling at each other. That's ridiculous. For 72 hours. I'm like, it's a bunch of drug addicts that are sitting in a circle not sleeping. That's not good And some of them probably... No. They probably have, like, mental... And that can cause a lot of things. So, again, not great. Not smart choices. But some of the patients actually... They liked this method and they found it to be cathartic. And Synanon actually began to allow outside members to come and watch the games. So people hmm. would come from the outside and be like, yeah, this is cool. Like, it's Weird. literally a game to watch. I know. The things that used to happen in the world. I know. Sixties, The 50s and 60s. I mean, really up to the 80s. I mean, fucking weird. I mean, there's still a lot of weird shit happening. But, yeah. you know. You know. In the 1970s, Synanon decided to rebrand themselves from a drug treatment program to a psychotherapy pr- program. And they actually started to attract middle-class people through the game. And by the early 1970s, there were about 3,400 squares in California, which is just people that don't have the addiction, in California, New York, Detroit. And they were paying to cash to participate in the games. That is insane. People wanted to come and, like, yell Yell at each other. Yell at each other? Which I guess, like, if you have anger, but... Maybe take it out in a different way. I don't know. Boxing's great for anger. Yeah. Or like smashing plates and stuff. Yeah. You know, there's have rooms for that now. Yeah. You don't have to be rude to other people. Whatever. But I mean, I guess if everyone's agreeing to do it. Yeah. But maybe not for like 72 hours. No. No. Can you imagine you're like, I hate you. Uh, like maybe do it in a way where you just get on stage and yell. Yeah. Like an acting class. Or like screaming music where you just scream. Yeah. You're not screaming at anyone or trying to say anything. I mean, I can see where having a person there would, like, make you feel like you're actually releasing the... That's true. Maybe you could put, like, a dummy or, like, yeah, know, something. Maybe. I don't know, but... Sex dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> okay. Uh, Diedrich would often say that Synanon was an experimental society or an ever-changing group with ever-changing goals, thrusts, directions, and so on. Chuck moved from Santa Monica up to Marin County, and he decided to start wearing overalls. Oh, that's a big life decision. Right. And the trend actually became the, everyone like loved it, and they also all started wearing overalls, and then it became the mandatory requirement for people to wear. And I believe it was also during this time that women started to shave their heads so that everyone appeared equal. Okay. So, just a bunch of overall shaved head women just hanging out. Uh, When Diedrich decided to quit his three-pack-a-day smoking habit, he declared that everybody else would quit as well. Of course. Which, I mean, it's a healthy decision. And they ended up saving over $250,000 a year on cigarettes. Because they had to provide it for everyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
It's a good business decision. I know. It's like no longer provide cigarettes. <laughs> like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do that. Ugh, cigarettes. Uh, of course, with uh, many adults living in community, there's obviously children being born. But the children were raised communally, and the parents had restricted access after they turned six to nine months. Adult members might only see their kids once a week, even oh. if they wanted to see them more. I you know. And in 1972, Diedrich had proposed that children from every California branch be moved to a single site in Marin County. So he just wanted them all, like, gone, basically. Oh, no. And, of course, people did not like that. And about 200 to 300 people left the organization because they just weren't about that life. Yeah. Uh, Diedrich displayed a good riddance attitude. And those who left lacked commitment to Synanon's new utopian vision. And he said, the choice was clear, your family or that of Synanon. In 1973, uh, during one of the games, a woman was speaking disrespectfully to Diedrich's wife, which is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, so for some reason, he, Diedrich just it took it, he took it very personally. And he took a can of soda and he poured it over the woman. He then apologized, but then took the apology back and said... I give the less the woman a lesson in manners. Ugh. So now he's starting starting to go a little you aggressive. Know, he's getting there. In 1974, Synanon moved to become recognized as a religion. They wanted to do this as a way to get the IRS off of their back. Of course, yeah. I would love to be a religion to get the IRS. Totally, yeah, yeah. like tax free, tax free. And during this time, they actually began to increase its use of violence. They suspected spies, so because it was becoming so famous, they had a lot of uh, reporters and people like yeah. reporting on them. Attention, a lot of attention. So they had spies, and they were severely beaten. Uh, teenagers that were sent part of the the juvenile program were physically abused for any of their insubordination. And uh, Deidre continued to have less and less more or less and less interest in having children around telling members that if they wanted kids, they probably shouldn't be part of Synanon. And he said, I understand it's more like crapping a football than anything else. Oh, God. I'm like, okay. And in on April 19th, 1977, Chuck's wife, Betty, died of lung cancer. Aww. And this just seemed to just set him over the edge. And he his temper and his desires to control people just became more and more. And by October of that year, uh, only a few months after the wife of his, the death of his wife, Diedrich's policy became even more extreme and controlling, and he declared that all married Sinonites should split up and find new partners. <laughs> it's like um, like musical chairs. Yeah, like yeah. So, and he started this by causing his own daughter to break up her marriage, and by the end of the year, over six hundred people were divorced. Ugh. He also declared at this time that all men must get a vasectomy. So, Man. no more children. Like, But he wouldn't get one, obviously. Of course. In 1978, the violence began to get, like, obviously, turn worse. Um, an ex-Sinanite, Phil Ritter, had tried to extract his young daughter from the organization. His wife was still in the organization and had moved the child to the Detroit facility. Uh, so Ritter obviously sought legal action against the cult, and in response, they sent two men to beat him up in his driveway, and he was in a coma for a week. 
That's pretty much what happens. Yeah. Like, like not surprised. No, not surprised. Sucks, though. He wants his kid back. I'm like, well. That sucks, because he probably, like, had a drug problem and, like, was trying yeah. to get help. And then got And then ended up it. in a cult. And then they were forced to get divorced. And he had a chance to leave. And then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he couldn't take his kid. And yeah. yeah. I hope he stayed it. sober. I hope so. But then it's, like, sucks, because he was in a coma. And then he's on all those drugs. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, an attorney named Paul Morris had successfully represented a young woman who had been held against her own will by the cult. Um, and on October 10th, 1978, he came home to his ho- house in the Pacific Palisades to open his mailbox to be immediately bitten by a rattlesnake. So they put a rattlesnake in his mailbox. They took the the shaker off or the rattler yeah. and it. So he ran out and he was yelling, call the police, call an ambulance. I've been bitten by a rattlesnake. It's Sinanun. Sinanun got me. Rattlesnake warfare. It was not crazy, though. Like That is. They put a rattlesnake in. First of all, they had to take the rattle. Yeah. They had to not get bit by it, take the rattle off, put it in a mailbox. That had to be a pissed off snake. How do you do that? Yeah. It, like, flung out at them. Oh, Thankfully, he did survive, and they were able to give him all the anti-venom. Uh, he does say that he has ailments from it, and he yeah. jokes that this is going to be the longest murder in history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, also, if you ever get bit by a rattlesnake, don't run around like a crazy person mm-hmm. saying you were bit by a rattlesnake. Yeah, because then you get your blood pumping, and yeah. it goes and spreads you through your body. Yeah, and then you die faster. Yeah. Just stay where you Just are. Just sit and call 911 immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and if... I'm around. I'll be running around like a crazy person because I hate snakes. So I won't be. Oh, I've ran across a few while hiking. Me too. Rattlesnakes. I hate it. I'm like, ah. Oh, I hate it so Run. much. <laughs> oh, just, I don't like it. Regular snakes are fine. No. All, fine. all snakes are not. <laughs> Especially avoid the little guys too. Uh, so after the snake attack, the police investigated a ranch in Badger. And they found a tape of Chuck saying, we're not going to mess with the old time turn the other cheek religious postures our religious posture is don't mess with us you can get killed dead literally dead these are real threats they are draining life's blood from us and expecting us to play by their silly rules we will make the rules i see nothing frightening about it i am quite willing to break some lawyer's legs and next break his wife's legs and threaten to cut their child's arm off that is the end of that lawyer that is a very satisfactory humane way of transmitting information I really do want an ear and a glass of alcohol on my desk. Wow. He's going crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, intense. At least he's upfront about it, I guess. Yeah, but it's, he's such an idiot, too, because he recorded himself saying this. Yeah. He loves talking. Okay. So they arrested a 20-year-old Lance Keaton and 28-year-old Joseph Musico uh, for the attempt or for yeah the attempted murder and they also arrested Diedrich for his conspiring to commit it as well all three pled no contest and Diedrich entered into a plea deal that included probation of course he didn't see any jail time because why would he mm-hmm. but he was forced to step down as the head of Synanon and the cult slowly crumbled after that and then Synanon was formally stripped of its tax exempt status in 1991 and completely disbanded after that good and charles e diedrich died in california in 1997 
um, just a couple of things about the group. They were shown in a few things or like talked about. It, they did create a movie called The Synanon Movie in 1965. It's referred in Bob Dylan's song, Lenny Bruce. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1993, a science fiction TV series, Babylon 5, included the Synanon game. And then in 1971, George Lucas was filming THX 1138, and he, where he brought in from the San Francisco area uh, a bunch of people that had shaved heads because he couldn't get a bunch of actors. So yeah. he was like, oh. Here's a bunch of them that already have their head shaved. There so, you go. Yeah, you can see that in uh, George Lucas's film. Good to know. Yeah. So that is uh, the Synanon AA that turned into a crazy cult. Okay. I am going to tell you guys about Providence, a.k.a. Christian Gospel Mission, a.k.a. Jesus Morningstar, a.k.a. JMS, a.k.a. Setsuri, which means Providence in Japanese, a.k.a. International Christian Association, or ICA, a.k.a. Morning Star Church, a.k.a. <laughs> the Bright Moon Church, a.k.a. A. Chun Church. It's a lot of names, huh? Yeah, but bit. mostly they go by Providence, Christian Gospel Mission, or Jesus Morning Star. Is this where uh, Jesus Christ Superstar came from? I don't know, but I hope so. I feel like, uh, yeah. Um, I'm just going to call them Providence because it's a lot of freaking names. It's a lot of names. So, um, most of the information I'm going to tell you guys about the founder's childhood is taken from an article on Providence's blog site. So, all this information could be true, could not be true, because it's what he's telling his people. Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of inf other information about his childhood out there. So, the founder is Jung Myon Suk, Siok. I don't know. It's going to be another one of these. Yeah. Well, I think it's mostly just his name because I don't know Korean. <laughs> what? You don't know it? No. What? So he was born in 1945 in South Korea and was the third oldest with seven siblings. His family was super poor and Jung did not attend middle or high school and instead he helped out at the family farm. Um, sometimes they had to rely on arrowroot water or gruel to combat hunger. Yeah. When was this? When was he born? Uh, 45. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were struggling over there at that time. Yeah. Hardcore. So he turned to religion as a way to find meaning in life. Understandably. And then in night and night. Nope. That's not what I was going to say. <laughs> At 21, <laughs> Jung was drafted into the military and was a part of the Vietnam War. He did two tours. Um, according to this article, Jung wouldn't kill his enemies. He would instead use rope to capture them in order to spare lives. Hmm. And he received medals from this since they were able to gain intelligence from the captured soldiers. Is that true? Don't know. Don't, yeah, right. <laughs> but if it is, that's very nice of him to not murder people. It's very kind but of But I him. can also imagine how difficult it would be to capture a soldier yeah. alive. A bunch of trained in soldiers. Vietnam War. Yeah. With rope. Right. And just rope. It's like lassoing them. Like, oh, yeah. I got one. Korean cowboy. Okay. At some point after returning from the war, Jung joins the unification movement. 
So I don't know if any of you know about the unification movement. Neither do you know anything about no, it. No, I don't. So it's this big thing in like South Korea, and yeah, it's just a really large cult that I haven't covered yet, or hmm. we haven't covered yet. So we'll get back to you on that I'll one. Get back to you. Probably should have covered them first, but eh, you know what? It's, <laughs> it's fine. He was a part of that. Um, he also previously founded a church that was associated with Methodism. But he was expelled from the community. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in 1980, Jung founded Providence. So the core of Providence's teachings are found in a series of unpublished precepts called the 30 Lessons. Um, They resemble the quote-unquote divining principle of the unification movement. Um, So a, a lot of what Jung used in Providence is based on his time in the unification movement. Um, And these lessons are based on a numerological interpretation, which identifies the sex leader as the second coming of Christ. Hmm. Mm -hmm. A couple of the lessons imply that those who don't meet him won't go to heaven or that anyone who betrays him are committing a grave crime. Yes. Of course. Bad, bad things. (laughs) Both the unification movement and Providence preach the advent of the completed testament era, which has something to do with a promise of the family of Adam being restored. Hmm. So that's all I got about that. All right. Uh, The unification movement compares the relationship between God and man to the relationship between two lovers or a bride and groom. Um, Providence goes a step further with this. Female believers are taught that they are brides of God and, by inference, brides of Jung. They're drilled on the importance of looking good, keeping themselves slim, and dressing well. It would not be well. Mm -mm. Same. I really like pizza. I love pizza and, and I tacos. like sweats and like putting my hair in a bun all day. Yes, day. exactly. Basically yeah. how I look right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so both groups teach that original sin was caused by Eve's intercourse with the fallen angel Satan, which actually I can see that. Yeah. That's not that far out there. Um, but Providence teaches that this can be redeemed by having sex with Jung. Ah, okay. You know, because totally. he's like correlated with Jesus and yeah. all this. So, yeah. Makes makes up for it, you know. Yeah. One plus one. Equals sex with Jung. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, initiates into the cult are at first invited into an activity circle, quote unquote, like sports club, music clubs, modeling groups on universities where they have like competitions and fashion shows and shit Mm. yeah so the initiates will learn later when they're taken to bible study that religion is a part of the group's activity oh so they're like what wait what okay yeah exactly so they're just like real smooth about it um so the cult forms non-religious organizations so that they can attract young people without initially revealing that there's religion involved. That's what probably would happen to me. I'd be like, wait, what? Yeah. 
exactly. It's, ugh. Yeah. So once they're inducted, new members are then encouraged to sever ties with friends and family and to live in a communal house with other members. Uh, recruiters are known to be active in and around shopping centers and university campuses and are said to target tall, attractive women to become spiritual brides for the leader. It's like a beautiful place to go live, sounds like. Yeah, right? Just a bunch of beautiful, tall women mm-hmm. all dressed well and kept slim. Yep. Diet pills for days. Yeah. So, of course, you know, the university is perfect place to do that. Plus, everyone's looking for light, like the answer to life's questions. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and of course, these female recruits are encouraged to have sex with Jung in order to attain purification, <laughs> as we said earlier. So, in 1999, Jung was accused of sexual abuse and fled South Korea. Uh, sexual abuse allegations also surfaced in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and some other locations. So he literally got around. Yeah, he really literally got around. Literally got around. Um, there were over a hundred alleged victims. Oh. Yeah. He's not so good. No, he's not so good. Uh, and it's crazy because a lot of their beliefs are all about love. Yeah. But so he was doing the he love. He was getting a lot of love, but doing it in not the right way. No. Um. So Providence countered the media with lawsuits in order to s- try to suppress the media. Um, Jung lived freely outside of South Korea for years until Chinese authorities apprehended him in either 2006 or 2007. I've seen both. And they repatriated him to South Korea. Um, the anti-Providence group Exodus was founded in 1999. And they held a press conference in April 2006 in which four unidentified women wearing bucket hats and surgical masks covering their faces accused Jung of organized sex crimes against themselves and other women who required medical treatment. Hmm. Like bucket hats and surgical masks. That would be quite the sight to see. Yeah. So Jung, of course, denied the allegations and stated that it was a distorted rumor in order to slander him well of course no i didn't do that no why would i do such a thing this is all about love you're just trying to put us down yeah don't make these allegations about me i would never never uh he was charged with multiple counts of rape and in 2009 sentenced to 10 years in prison only 10 years for 100 people yeah, well, there were only four women that, like, they could officially, I could Prove. think. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, yeah. Or maybe because it's also spread out through multiple countries. True. Because uh, I think also he had a, a suit against him in 2001 in Taiwan, but he got out of it. Of course he did. Of course. Okay. A news show called The Unanswered, which... In Korean, translated means, I want to know it. (laughs) I do want to know it. I do want to know it. I'm not mad at that. (laughs) I like it. I like it better than the unanswered. Me too. Um, So it had episodes covering these allegations. And in one of the episodes, it was reported that Jung had a hideout in Anshan in the Chinese province Liaoning. 
and female members were flown there and held against their will. One 28-year-old woman managed to escape in 2005. She said that she was sexually violated multiple times. Um, while in Japan, Jung would summon upwards of 10 women on nearly a daily basis under the pretense of a health check. That way he had an excuse to get them naked. Hmm. And have sexual encounters with them. Hmm, he's so kind. So kind. So giving of him. Yeah. Tricking women into health checks. These women are just trying to be healthy. Yeah. Like, do I have a lump in my breast? I, I'm just trying to make sure I don't have breast cancer. Yeah, but evidently, a health check means having sex with Jung. Mm, of course. Because he purifies you. Of course. Well, With his... Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> yep, yep. Gross. Um, so evidently, having sex with him would wipe away their sins. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Jung's aides imposed strict secrecy of the encounters by threatening the women with condemnation to hell if they told anyone. Hmm. Good. And there were similar incidents reported in Taiwan, so I'm assuming he did this everywhere he went. So, according to allegations by ex-Providence members, as of 2012... Some 500 to over 1,000 women members were still being groomed for sexual, for future sexual exploitation by Jung. Dang. Yeah. Uh, they were known internally as the Evergreens. And these female members are said to comprise a quote-unquote reserve core for quote-unquote sex brides. Evergreen sex brides. Sex bribes. Bribes. Not yeah, sorry, bribes. Ah. Which is a term used for sexual favors to those that have power. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bribes that they don't even want to participate in, but okay. Nope. So the Evergreens are educated and handled by 10 women in Providence's leadership. Um, Joe Gyeongsuk, the former head of the group Soul Branch, um, who was also a victim, stated salvation through sexual union was part of its part of the group's canon. Which I think we've figured out by now anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Life in prison. Oh, I put a title on this section of my notes, so. You got excited about it. I got so excited. Well, he did go to prison. He so went to prison. Good. But while he was in prison... And while he was in hiding, uh, Jung was able to continue to grow his cults and have control over them. Of course he was. The cult got bigger. Mm. It's crazy. So while in prison, Jung delivered his sermons, documents, and spoken direction through letters, visitors to the prison, and his successor, Jung Jo Yoon, uh, whose real name was Kim Ji Seon. I know I said all of these wrong. You got Kim right. I'm, yeah, I, know I think that so. One. I think I said Kim right. Uh, while in prison, Jung was supplied with photographs of female members in order to select which women would join the Evergreens. And of course, throughout his entire imprisonment, uh, the group maintained Jung's innocence. Of course they did. Well, yeah. How else are they going to get women to join mm-hmm. while he's in prison? So, what I haven't talked about yet is the fact that this got pretty big in Australia. Interesting. Yeah. And in New Zealand, it started to get pretty well-known. Wow. Yeah. 
So I watched a video from this like news site called The Feed in Australia. Um, they interviewed two women who jo joined the cult around the time that Jung went to prison. They talk about how it was encouraged to scout for specific types of women to join them and to write to Jung in prison as if he were your husband or lover. And he would write back and was often sexual in nature, saying things like, your white skin arouses me, or your vagina would look pretty. Your... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those pretty vaginas. Pretty, pretty vaginas. So he was, like, not living a bad life in jail. Then. No, not at all. He was getting pretty photos of women. He mm -hmm. still had control over people. He probably was, like, selling them to people to get, like, Maybe. money. Maybe. Yeah. Um. So one of the women even went to South Korea to visit him in prison. Wow. Yeah. That's commitment. Well, and she lived with other women in the group. They would wake up at 4 a.m. to pray and would often have to fast. And, you know, it's a way to keep control over you because you're just always tired and hungry. Mm -hmm. That's not how I want to live And it's my a life. bunch of women. It's probably cranky women. Yeah. That sounds terrible. And it, there were some men. I read an article from a man in New Zealand that joined, but not a lot. It's probably like 80% women. Yeah. Um. Which, I mean, that's what he wanted. So Jung was released in February 2018 with an ankle monitor and is listed as a sex offender. There isn't a lot of information on his current whereabouts or actions. Hmm. There's yeah, they're just like, all right, he was released. That's not great. And you know, it's not. They're probably keeping it really on the DL mm -hmm. so they don't get a lot of attention. Because they have so much online presence. Yeah. It's crazy. They have so many websites. So here's some stuff. Uh, Jung has a website called jungmyongseok.net. Dot net. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, the first thing I saw when going to his website is a quote that says, God's purpose of creating human beings is so that we can live loving God as our bridegroom, our counterpart of love. I'm like, all right, that's super like Christian and yeah. and happy, but also not actually what you're doing. Not so much, but okay. <laughs> um, and there's a website, jmsprovidence.com, with the tagline "Exposing Corruption, Revealing Truth." Which I'm sure some people will read that. They're like, oh, I want to know what's the yeah, truth. Yeah, I was curious. Yeah. I was like, all right, what's your truth? What you got? Uh, but it's mostly articles with titles such as what you see is not always the truth and various apology letters and articles on retractions and libel against the group. Oh, okay. So like they sue someone for libel mm -hmm. and then they get an attraction letter, a retraction and they post it on this site. Nice. So basically yeah. they're like, we're crazy. We're sorry. We're crazy. We're uh, sorry. I'm not retracting this. No, I don't have anything for you to take. So. <laughs> yeah. Um there is a plethora of information as I said that's produced by Providence including 
like there's a Tumblr and hmm. all sorts of videos and websites, like two pages on Google. That's just all their in- their websites. Wow. It's ridiculous. So you but that's the thing is people can then join you from so many different websites. Yeah. Not just the one. It's really brilliant. Um, so they're still active and it says they have something like 200,000 members. Whoa. That's a lot. Yep. And that's all I got. That was really quick. Um, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, some of these, I think we're just gonna have to wait for the cults to no longer exist to get I guess. real information about them while they're out there controlling the media. And I guess just uh, be careful with what you're doing in life because... Yeah, both of these, actually, both of our cults Mm -hmm. are people that got tricked into joining cults. Yeah. So when you're vulnerable, bring a buddy and hope that they're not super vulnerable, I guess. Exactly. Always check things out. If someone tells you that they are Jesus or they're a counterpart of him and you need to have sex with them for... To purify yourself? Purify yourself. It's not true. It's not a good place. There's nothing pure about what's about to come out of them. And if you're forced to shave your head and if you don't have cancer, don't do it. No. It's not the place for you. Or wear overalls. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Or if you're forced to scream at people for fun. Don't don't do do it. it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. That's all we have today. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked us even a little bit, rate us five stars. It's so, so, so helpful. Um, If you didn't like us, why are you still listening? (laughs) (laughs) We like you still. Um, Find us on social media at Bang Bang Cult. On Facebook and Insta. Yes. And then Bang Bang Cult at at gmail.com. Got anything to tell us. And that's that. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.